So we find Peter wrote this letter, and as you know by now, it was taken to the dispersion out in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. These were people who were sitting without hope. One would think, one would think they sitting without hope. They were taken out of their comfort zones. They were persecuted. They were blamed for the fire in Rome. And we don't know. Sometimes maybe they had to run away from the authorities who wanted to capture them because they are Christians. And all of this calamity came upon them. We are living in a good free country here in Australia, don't we? We have it so easy. We come to church, we get in our car, there's nobody who persecutes us on a Sunday morning for this. People drive past this place and they look and they say, oh, there's a church. And they've got a choice, a choice not to come here. But you and I, we choose to come here. Nobody forced you. Nobody threatened you. You come here on your own. It's a free will. And we love freedom, don't we? We all say we're living in a free society. But what if that freedom and what if that peace is being disturbed? What if you want to come, but people stop you from coming? What if you come in your free will, but now it's going to cost you something? It's going to hurt you to come. Now what I'm telling you about today might be in a couple of years time, it might be in five years time, it might be in ten years time. By that time you might say, well I'm not going to be here anymore, because you know I might not be living another ten years, or twenty years, or fifty years. I don't think I'll live another hundred years, brother. And if you believe in the word of God and you believe in the rapture, the rapture can take place any time. Any time. And it's so wonderful. To understand that God is a sovereign God. And He protects us. So these people were in, in that circumstances. Yet Peter writes this letter and this letter was taken to them. And as I said before, the Bible wasn't written the way we see it right now. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. It was all in one scroll. And they would come in and the church would get together. And the church might have been just maybe 10 people in a certain place coming together. But that was the church. Church was never, never confined to numbers. Some people, if you say today you're in a church, they say, how many people are you there? Oh, we run about 50 people. Well, that's not a church. Church is 100 plus. No, no, it could have been five people where this letter went to. Because these were Christians, persecuted. But oh, the joy when they heard the words of the Apostle Peter. In these circumstances. And we have to sometimes transfer ourselves back into uh, trying to understand where they were when they got this letter. And then he writes to them a few things. And specifically, I want to go back today to verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. We've already heard a sermon about this. When Peter writes to them and this man stands up and he reads it to them like I'm reading it to you now. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now think for yourself sitting in those circumstances there, and you hear these words. What does it mean to them? What does it mean to you today? 
It's the same words. Different circumstances. But the key word there that stands out is the word living hope. So in other words, what Peter is calling us to do and what he called them to do is to walk in hope. That is what he's telling them. In your circumstances, sometimes things which is outside of your control. Who knows that you can't control everything in life? Who knows that? Yes, things which is outside of your control that you can't control. I mean, you've worked so hard to reach a point financially, and then out of your control, the world market changes. You worked so hard to come into a specific friend's group, and then out of your control, something happens, and it, it messes with that. So all of these things that he says that you can't control, people are persecuting in that circumstances, he asks these people one thing. He says, walk in hope. Walk in hope. Now we, we love to see the word living in front of the hope, don't we? Walk in living hope. It's not a dead hope, it's a hope that's alive. Now hope, a definition for it is a joyful and a confident expectation of eternal salvation and redemption. That's the hope he's talking about. And we've gone over this already, haven't we? You remember in this specific passage that he was talking to them about salvation. What is this hope he's talking about? Salvation. Where is the salvation? It's in heaven, guarded by the power of God. That's what we've gone over already. That's why it's a living hope. It's not something that you lock in a, in a, a way in a closet and you hope. No, no. This is a life kept by the power of God. And he wants them to walk in that hope salvation so wonderfully if you go over those passages he says to us it is an inheritance inheritance incorruptible he even went to the place where he said that gold can be corrupted but this salvation cannot be corrupted that is a living hope so Peter is asking them and through me this morning, the Lord, through His Word, is asking you in this church today to walk in this living hope, this joyful and confident expectation of your eternal salvation and your redemption. What is redemption? You know what Paul cries out? He says, O wretched man that I am in the present tense. He says, Who will save me from this body of sin? And this is the concept which you need to understand. I was saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. Glorification and redemption. This is the hope. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this hope. And then I want to unpack it because that's going to lead into the next few Sundays. We are laying a foundation here. Hope is a reward for faith. Think about this. Hope is the reward for faith. I'm saying it again. Hope is the reward that you are getting if you have faith. If you do not have faith, you do not have hope. Think of that. Now some people say that faith and hope is the same thing. No, no. Faith and hope is tied to the same thing. And I'll explain that to you. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13 for instance, to explain this. 
At the end of that chapter, he says, And now, faith, hope, charity, these three remain, but the greatest of these is charity. The word for charity there is agape. It is the highest level of love that you can find in the Greek language. Agape. You get eros love, which is an erotic love. You get filial love, which is a brotherly love. And then you get agape, which is sacrificial love. He says there in the end of this love chapter, who knows that 1 Corinthians is the love chapter. He talks about love. And here he says there's three things that remains. Faith. And then can you see that hope doesn't come before faith? He didn't say hope, faith, and then love. He says faith, hope, and love. So, hope is the reward for faith. And I say it again. That if you do not have faith, you will not have hope. How does this work then? Let me explain. So, faith is confidence or trust in a person or a thing or a belief based not on proof. That is what faith is. Think about that. It is confidence. It is trust in a person. You say to somebody, I've got faith in you. You put your trust in that person. You put your confidence in that person. Or a thing. Now, a thing, I don't believe that we measure that. People, this is just a definition that I found out of a dictionary. But I'm going to come to the word in a minute. Now, we put our faith in God. Our belief is in God. Though we don't see Him, Peter says, you believe in Him, you love Him. Though you don't see Him, you love Him. Who loves the Lord this morning? Can you see Him? We can't see Him physically. We see His Spirit in people. Yet you still love Him, but you don't see Him. You see, this is crazy for the world. They can't understand this notion of us. How can you Christians love somebody you don't see? And the atheist says there's nobody there to see. But we know better. So faith is a confidence. It's a, it's a physical thing or a trust in a person or a thing that we believe. Look at the hope. Hope is an optimistic attitude of a mind based on an expectation in the future. So faith says, I put my confidence and trust now in you. Hope says, I'm expecting something in the future. I hope next week that you are going to be there for me. That is an expectation you're putting into the future. And remember, hope is the reward for faith. Faith says it is so now. And hope says in the future it could happen. That's the difference. Faith is happening now. I hear some people and they say, I will have faith for the future. No, no. Faith is happening right now. He says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself, it is a gift from God so that nobody could boast about it. Faith is now. You are putting your faith now in our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to put your faith in Him tomorrow or the day after. Although some people are living like that. They say, preacher, I just want to live my life now and when I'm getting older, I will serve the Lord. It doesn't work that way. 
You either put your faith in God now and He starts a personal relationship with you or you don't do it. Or you don't trust in something that you don't see. It is either now or it's not. Faith is now. But hope is tomorrow. Can you see why I say that? Hope is the reward for faith. I want that to sink in. I want next week when you walk through these doors, you go, I've learned something. What is that? Hope is the reward for faith. But I want you to understand what faith is before you understand what hope is. Why am I giving you this? Because Peter writes to these people, he says, he has begotten us again to a what? A living hope. Now we're understanding hope a little bit better. Hope is that expectation for the future. Do you know where you're going when you die? The Bible says you can, know. That's the hope for the future. But faith is now. I believe right now that I'm going to have eternal life. Hope is it's out there in the future. All clear so far. Now listen to this now. Let's look at the definition for faith then in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, we find the definition for faith. He says, now faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Can you see faith is again in front of hope? Faith is now, as, it's, as we said it up there, and hope is in the future. Now what is that verse says? He says, the evidence of things not seen. So we can't see it, yet we believe in it now. Now we believe in it. Let me read it again. He says, now faith, the faith that we have inside of us, the faith that God gave us, the faith that is growing inside of us now is the substance. The word substance there is a tangible thing. If I say to you, this Bible is a substance of pages, am I saying it right? The substance here. I can give it to Andre and I can go, Andre, feel this. Can you feel this, my brother? You feel the substance. Now, it doesn't make sense for the man in the world because faith is something that you can't see. You say it even there in the verse. But this is how we believe in it. Though we don't see him, it is the substance. He's here. The Bible says yesterday, today, and forever is the same. The Bible says where two and three gathers in his name, there is present with us. The Bible says that there is angels all around us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is living with us and inside of us. That is the substance. But you say, wait a minute, I can't see it. And you are right. That is why faith is now. But what does faith give us? Come on, you should know by now. It gives us hope for the future. That is the verse there. Now, let's apply it to another verse. And, and look, I can keep you here the whole day applying these two things. If you're going to grasp faith and hope, it will change the way you read the Bible. Because every time you come to the word faith, I want you to understand it is now. And every, whenever you read the word hope in the Bible, I want you to understand it is the future. But what future is that? Eternal salvation with the God, which is our inheritance, which is kept by His power. Hallelujah. Now, let's apply this to one verse. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. He says now, this is now Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, therefore, being justified by what? 
by faith. What is faith? It's now. He says, I am now justified. I'm not going to be justified. I'm justified now. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So faith tells us now one thing. We are not going to have peace when we get to heaven. We can have peace with God right now. That's what faith is. Though you don't see it, you love Him. That is the peace that we say surpasses all understanding. That is the peace, listen now, that gives us the joy of salvation which we heard last week. It's all sense. makes sense, isn't it? But let's continue. In verse 2 he says, Through Him we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. Now let me go, let me just now apply what we know. Through Him we also have access by faith into His grace. When is that? Now. We have access into the very presence of God right now through faith. When you close your eyes and you pray, and you say, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. You don't see what you see because you physically see you still in this room. But what happens? You are entering into the very throne room of God, the creator of the universe, by your prayer, and you stand before him. Wow. What are you saying, preacher? That will change your prayer life. That will change your prayer life because the way you enter into His presence is the way that He will see you. You can't hide anything from God. But it's not going to take place when we get to heaven. That is redemption. And we will come to redemption. That happens now, he tells this church. He says to them, let me read it again now that you understand it. He says, through him, through who? Who's the him there? Through Jesus Christ. That's why when we pray to God, we say, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We can't just rock up there and go, here I am, John Shipman. I've got nothing good in me to stand before God. But I have everything in Jesus Christ to stand before God. That is why he says, through him we also have access by faith right now into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. Now listen to this now, on the hope of the glory of God. What is the hope? The future. The future. We hope on the glory of God. Who believes in the glory of God? Who believes that the glory of God is going to come back to this earth? Who believes that? That is the hope we're standing in. That is the future. But for faith, we're standing right now in His presence. And then He says in that passage that we rejoice. Now, I wonder what word that is. Who was here last week? What is the explanation of that word? We jump for joy. That's what the word means. Woo, this is great, isn't it? He says it right there. You see, if we understand the Bible, it will open up to us and it will, it will, it will give us energy. He says, and we jump for joy. For what? On the hope, the future of the glory of God. And in verse 3 he says now, and not only this. Now I would want to think that I'm so excited by now. That we are justified now with God. We stand in His presence now. 
We've got hope for the future. And I would think that's it. This poor little body can't contain anything more. Are you with me? But Paul writes something down. He says, and not only this. And I want to ask him, I want to say, Paul, what's there more? Oh, it's a blessing, isn't it? Come, Holy Spirit, come in your strength and your power. Now he says, but we glory in afflictions also. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hallelujah. Remember, Peter is writing to whom? To the people who is in affliction. And he tells these people in affliction to what? To walk in the living hope. Now he says the same to Rome. He says to them, we glory in affliction also, knowing that the afflictions works patience. And patience works out experience. And experience works out what? Hope. There's our word again. It works out hope for the future. So, so listen to this. You need to grab this. So all the trouble you are going through as a child of God, not for your own doing. Remember, there's a difference. Because you are struggling because you're a Christian and people want to persecute you, those afflictions is giving you hope for the future. That's what he's saying. And now he says in verse 5, And hope does not make us ashamed, because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. So faith is now, hope is for the future. So Peter is calling us, again I come back to chapter 1 verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's asking those people and us to walk in up. Now, for the next few Sundays, I'm going to preach to you what he now deemed to tell us. He's going to tell us to walk holy. To walk holy. Listen to him when he says that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest you hopefully upon the grace that is to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not confirming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, listen now, you also be holy. Turn to the person next to you and say, Be holy. Now I want you to ask him, what, what do you mean? What is it, what is it to be, be holy? Wait, wait, we get there. I'm, I'm going ahead of myself. He says, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written. What is written? Be holy for? I am holy. And then he continues on in verse 17 and he says, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges each according to his work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here with fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ and as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. I want to talk to you today about part one, to be holy. Be holy. That's what you said to the person next to you, didn't you? Now the question is, what that person meant to ask you back is, what does it mean to be holy? Is that a good question? Some people these days says to be holy is to be perfect. Oh, brother, sister, you have to be perfect. Because holiness means God is perfect and you have to be perfect. And we're going to watch you now. 
We're going to see you from Monday to Sunday. And man, if you slip up, you're not holy. Some people say it is sainthood. And only the Pope can give it to you. It's true. True story. That's why they call some people, what? Saint this. Saint this. Or, you know, they call him the Holy Father. Some people say that is holiness. It can only be by one man. It's by him. Some people say it's if you obey the law, that is how you stay holy. But isn't that just works? And some people will do this. They will give, they'll talk about a sinless perfection. Have you heard that one? A sinless perfection. What does it mean to be holy, people? What does it mean to be holy? Oh, man, I'm going to watch you. And, you know, God is holy. And you walk around with this halo around your head. And you are lifted five inches from the ground. And you just walk. That's holy. Or you put on a nice jacket and everything. And everybody say. Or you say in a certain way, Hallelujah. And that makes you holy. What is it to be holy? Because he says it directly to them. Be holy. As God is holy. So we need to then understand what holiness means. So I'm going to give you a shocking truth here this morning. That holiness has got nothing we do or say can make us holy. Oops. Nothing you can do or say will make you holy. Oh, but there's people who preach this. They say, you've got to be perfect and you become holier. Holier than thou. Holy, holy, holy. And, and you become holy. I don't hold that teaching. Because I know for a fact that nothing I can say or do will make me holy. And you know, I'm in good company right here. You say, prove it out of the word, because now we're only hearing you. Let me give you David. We preached about it last week. If you want the whole sermon, go and listen. It's on the net. Because David cries out in Psalm 51 verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And you know what that word means there, the Hebrew for the word create? It comes from the Hebrew word bara. I know you were here last week, but let me just say it again, Okay. Barah the same word which you found in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God barah the heavens and the earth. Barah means to call something recognizable out of nothing. He just says the word, let there be in heaven and an earth. And boom, there's a heaven and an earth. Not the big bang. Not the big bang. God's not part of a big bang. Let me just say, it's not a gooey, gooey, goo who evolved to what we are today. It is God who berated. He uses the same word because David knew that there's nothing inside of him that he could call on that could make him holy. Nothing. Not one thing. Same with you and me. That's what I'll stand on. That's the shocking truth. So what does it mean? I'm going to quickly take you on a path now about how the Bible talks about the holiness. Remember a man by the name of Moses. Moses. He was walking with his father's sheep and one day he saw this burning bush. He said, well, that's really interesting. He's in the desert. 
He goes, there's a bush. But what was really interesting about this is the bush didn't burn out. The fire kept on burning. Enough to attract him to walk towards the bush. And as he comes closer to the bush, in Exodus chapter 3 verse 5, he then said, this is God. There's a voice speaking out of the bush with him. He says, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you're standing on is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Here we have a man, impure, meeting a pure God, a holy God. He sees it right there. He draws him But have you noticed that he said to him, do not draw near to this place? Have you noticed that part? Because, listen friend, impurity can't go into God's purity. He will not allow it. Unholiness is not welcome in God's holiness. He will not allow it. He says to him specifically, do not draw near. You see what happened here is the holiness of God set him apart from Moses. That's why he says, do not draw near. Why? Because he's a holy God. And he calls the place where he stands holy ground. It's not as we go back now to where he walked and we go mark that little piece of place and go and stand on the place to become holy, do we? Some people do that, by the way. Oh, if I could only visit the grave where Jesus was laid. I want to go to Jerusalem. Man, I love Jerusalem and I would love to go there. I'm going to go there anyway. Whether on this earth or not, I'm going to go to a new Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. But you know, we've got to walk where Jesus walked on the Via Dolorosa as if it's going to change something inside of you. It can't change. The physical place can't change anything. He says it to them in the book of Corinthians. He says, the man, a spiritual man will understand the things of God. It's not physical. But anyway, I digress. He says, this is holy ground. Who called the place holy? God did. And he says to him, don't come near. Why was the place holy? Let me ask you. Because God was there. Because the presence of God was there. That's why the place is holy. Now I can ask you the same thing. This is a beautiful building. A beautiful building. I mean, they made it. It's great. It fits our purpose. Is this place a holy place this morning? Absolutely. Why? Because within you, when you walk through these doors, who came with you? The Holy Spirit. The Bible says He's in us and with us. And when we get together, what happens? This is a holy place. And as we walk out of here, is this a holy place? No. But let me take it one step further. He says, this is the temple of God now. What? This body. His spirit lives inside of us. The presence of God makes it holy. Not you. Sorry to disappoint you. Not me. Sorry. Oh, I like that chap, man. It's nothing about liking. It's the presence of God. Now, let me continue on. We see this now where he, you know, here comes Moses. He's not pure. He's not holy. He comes into the presence of the Holy God and God says, do not draw near to this place. There's many other passages, but for time I'm just taking that. But let's think about the temple. The temple is the place where God lives with his people, isn't it? 
And he gave them instruction to build this. Now, if you look at this here, out the outer court, there was the temple, and a lot of people could come into this area. But in the temple itself, there was a holy place where it was the altar of incense, the showbread was there, the stand, the golden table. And a lot of priests could work there. But then when you come into the Holy of Holies, what happened here? That's where the ark was. That was the presence of God. And between the Holy of Holies, there was a veil. A big veil where nobody could see through. Why? Because the holiness of God was in that place. And it was not accessible to anybody. And you know what? The high priest once a year could come into that place. Is that high priest holy? Is he impure or pure? He's not pure. He had to do a lot of things to become pure. But even when he did the ritual things, he had to walk in with what? With blood. He had to walk in with a sacrifice of blood to stand before the Holy God. Hang in there. This is going to take you somewhere. We talk about holiness. A holy God and an impure people. You see... We had to be morally, or these priests, morally pure to enter into the holies of holies. But they couldn't. That's why they had to take the blood before them. But now God then turned it for the people. Because how can people then come before God? He introduced to them and He gave them ritual pureness. This is what God gave them. Ritual pureness. And the whole book of Leviticus talks about this. In the book of Leviticus, if you read through the Leviticus, you will read that if they touch a dead body, they were classed as being impure, unpure. And there's a ritual that had to take place because of that impurity to make them pure again to come into the temple. If they had some diseases, if there's even some body fluids that can make a person impure, and they were not allowed into the temple, so God introduced to them a ritual process to make them pure. And, and in fact, you know, I'm just going to skip over some highlights here for you. If you read through Leviticus chapter 11, foods permitted and forbidden. So if you eat some foods, you would be unpure, impure, not pure. Um, unclean animals. You know, he talks about a ritual after childbirth. So if somebody had a child, that woman would be deemed impure for seven days. And there's certain things he had to do to be deemed to be pure before God, before they can go into the temple. Law of concerning leprosy. You, know, you remember leprosy? They were seen as un unclean and they would be sent out of the cities. There's whole passages about this. The cleansing of ill, you know, I'm, I'm just jumping through here. The law concerning leprous houses. The law concerning bodily Fluid discharges. I didn't know that's in the Bible. Yes, it is. Your body fluids that you discharge out of this body can make you impure. He's writing this to the nation. I know that. In Leviticus chapter 15, I see there's some people who are making a note. I'm going to read all about it this afternoon. So he gives them this rituals. But then something interesting happened. So you've got an impure people. If they touch a body, they're impure. They had to do a ritual to become pure. But then something interesting happened in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. This is Isaiah, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above stood a seraphim, each one had six wings. He had two covered his face, and he covered his feet, and his two flew. And in verse 3 he says, And one crowd to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And by the way, you see the same happen in the book of Revelation. Another peek into heaven. So we see this angel standing there, and this is what they shout, Holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now Isaiah is in this temple, and what happens? When the glory of God entered into the temple, the posts started to shake. Let me say to you today, there's nothing on the earth that can contain God's full power and glory. That makes you and me so precious because His Spirit lives in us. Wow, that's a different message. But even here we see a physical thing happen. In verse 4 he says, And the post of the doors was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is now Isaiah. Remember, he's a prophet of God, a true prophet, not a self-proclaimed one. He said, woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. He realized, according to the rituals even, that he's an unclean man. And uncleanness cannot stand in the presence of holiness. He realized this. I, I pray so a lot of people today realize that, to take the Lord's name in vain in the church. But anyway, he says there, and I dwell in the midst of people with what? Unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So something interesting happens. What? Let's read on. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your, listen, don't miss this now, your iniquity is taken away and your sins is purged. So for the first time now we see something interesting. We see that the coal from the altar of God, which is pure, which is fire in refining, comes and he touches somebody's unclean and what happens? The purity of God makes that uncleanness clean. It's right there, right in front of us. The live coal, and he came and he took away its, its iniquity, and your sin is pure. Purged. Say it. Purged. I want to suggest to you that coal is a symbol of Jesus Christ who would come into this world Here is something that came, and it was transferring purity into Isaiah. In Numbers chapter 31, talking about fire, verse 23, it says, Everything that can endure fire, everything that can endure, this is when they prepared for war, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean. So fire clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. He mentions two things here in Numbers. Listen now, he talks about fire and water. The fire which cleans and the purification through the water, but all that cannot endure fire you shall put through water. 
Okay, so he talks about a cleanness. Here is a clean thing that comes from God. He touches unclean and he transfers that cleanness into the unclean thing without, without a ritual. He didn't say, Isaiah, go out of the temple and go and do all these things before you're pure, before you come in. No, no, it's immediately it happened. So he talks about fire and water. Let's continue on. There's another interesting that happened in, in, in the prophets. Ezekiel. You remember Ezekiel? Another true prophet of God, not self-proclaimed. He writes in Ezekiel 47, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. And for the front of the temple facing the east, the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. What is he seeing? And again, this prophecy you can see in the book of Revelation at the end as well. Here now, brother and sister, is water flowing out from where? From the altar of God. And where is it flowing? It's flowing through a parched land. It's flowing through a dry land. It's flying, flowing through an impure land. And what's going to happen? This is still coming. In verse 7 he says, Ezekiel 47, 7, When I returned there along the bank of the river were many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. What sea do you think that is? The Dead Sea. What is in the Dead Sea? Yes. Is there any life there? It's dead. That's why. Hello, Dead Sea. He says now, there is living water flowing from the throne of God through this land into what? The Dead Sea. What did we say in Leviticus? Can you touch a dead body? What will it make you? Impure. Here it flows into the Dead Sea. And what will happen? What will happen now, Isaiah? When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. So there cometh a day when the Dead Sea will have life in it which will be a miracle for this world, but they will laugh at it still. Let me go on. Verse 9, And it shall be that the every living thing that moves, whether the rivers go, will live. There will be a variety of multitude of fish, because these water go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. So here again we see something that Isaiah said. We saw something of purity coming from God, touches the impure and it, passes he transfers that purity into the man here we see another thing we see that the purity of water comes from god and it goes into the dead sea and it transfers what the purity of god into that so what does this mean instead of becoming pure before we enter the temple god's holiness is flowing out from the temple and it heals everything that it touches wow i hope you get that because it's no, no more rituals we're doing. It's no more works that we're doing that's going to make us more holy. It's nothing of this kind. It flows from God. And whatever it touches, it makes holy. So this is why, friends, we don't say to God, I'm going to become a better person before I come to you. No, no. He comes to you where you are in your sin. And what does He do? He calls upon you. This is the joy of salvation. 
is nothing good inside of you that brought it along. It comes from Him. Holiness comes from God. Whatever He touches with it, He makes pure. I know. I know this morning. It's going to shake a lot of people who said different teaching around this. But this comes from God. There is, let me say it again. Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Barai in me a clean heart, Lord. David knew that. Why don't people know it today? Why is people still trying to be a good Christian? I'm not saying you continue in your sin by far. Look, this, don't tra- classify me into that. This is what Paul says. He says, now that grace abound, do I sin more so that grace abound even more? No, no. No. So, let me take you out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. Enter into this world who? Jesus Christ. Yes. In Luke chapter 24 verse 44, he says, Then he said to them, These are the words, this is Jesus who said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. What's all those things? Isaiah, the coal from the altar of God. Ezekiel, the water which flow from under the throne of God. And many more. I'm just speaking out two of those. So Jesus comes from where? Where did Jesus come from? From the very presence of our God and Father. Where is that? In the Holy of Holies. Like that coal came from the altar. Like the water came from there. Jesus came from the very presence of the Holy of Holies. Where did He come to? To this earth. That is baffling a lot of people. Again, our standing on faith is right now and hope is for tomorrow. Right, let me quickly go on. So, what did he do when he came, Jesus? He touched dead people, didn't he? Did that make him unclean? Did that make him impure? No, no, what happened? He passes that over through him into that dead person. And what happens? Life came to that dead person, the daughter of Jairus. Yes? Lazarus. Yes. How wonderful is this? How marvelous! See this now. Diseases. He walked over to the leper and what happens? For the first time, for the first time, he reaches, in the past, the Pharisees were, were standing like this. This man walks over and he touches them. And their diseases doesn't come over to him. What happens? It flows from him. And they were healed. I give to you this morning the burning coal from the altar of God. I give you the, the, the living water from the altar of God. Floweth upon us and people mock him and they, they, they serve him as if he's nothing. And what about some body fluids? Remember the lady who was impure? He walked through the crowd and she touched him immediately. The, 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 the Pharisees would have said, Unclean, go away for seven days and do all the rituals to him because this lady touched him. But what happened? The Bible says as soon as he touched the hymn, which if you think about, man, I'm just kidding. If you think about this, in the hymn is the power. 
in the hem, okay? This is why when Saul was lying there, what did David do? He could have killed Saul, but what did he do? He just cut off his hem, which means the power has departed, and here he comes. He walks in the crowd, and he just touches his hem, and what happened? The Bible says that power went from him to where? Into her, and she was healed. Wow. Have you seen it like that, brother and sister? The holiness of God, the purity of God that came through. Now, now, this is really interesting. This is now really interesting. Because Jesus himself, talking about water, was standing on the day of booths in John chapter 7. On the, on the last day, that great day of the feast, verse 37, he stood and cried out. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What will happen if you come to Jesus and drink? Will your impurity go over to him or will his living and his life come over to you? What will happen? He says, if you thirst, come unto me and drink of me. He who believes in me, their salvation, their salvation, it's always there. Repentance and salvation is always there. And the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow what? What will flow out of your heart? Rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit to those who believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit has not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So I had it to conclude today. Because next week I'm going to actually apply all of this to what Peter said. And he's going to ask him to walk in holiness. When Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15... But as he also called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it's written, be holy for I am holy. The word here for holy, the Greek word is hagios. And the meaning for hagios is to be most holy or a saint. Uh, not or a saint, and a saint. I want you to hold on to your chair now, okay? Hold on to it. Don't be shaken of it. Listen now to this. Hogios means to be most holy, but also means to be a saint. Now, can all the saints in the place please put up their hands? Okay, there's people who's been under this teaching before. Okay. The main idea around holiness when Peter talks to these people is a partner. To be a part. That's why I started with Moses. Remember what he said to Moses? Do not come near. Why? Impurity, holiness. You can't stand in the presence of God. What is it? God was separated. He was apart from Him. He was apart from the world. He sent His Son into the world to make what? To come and save the world. God is separated. He's different from his creation. He's a holy God, and I'm not by far bring God's holiness down. In, in fact, brother and sister, I can preach you a hundred sermons on the holiness of God. We are serving a holy God. The angels are shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I by far am not saying we can get up to the holiness of God he is God and God alone. If God looks around him on his plane, there are none like him. There is nobody like him. Nobody. But here he says, you be hagios. What does he mean? Does he mean you and I become gods? No. Let me show to you one verse in Ephesians chapter 1. 
Verse 4, he says, According as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Who chose us? God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Who is the Holy One? He is the Holy One. He is the Most Holy. So the word holy is applied to God as the Most Holy. But how is it applied to us? Before, because He says, you also be holy as God is holy. Does it mean I go now and I was thinking, I'm, oh man, I'm not going to sin out all, man. I'm going to work so hard not to sin. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to work so hard. I'm going to work so hard not to sin. Guess what's going to happen tomorrow? You're going to be tempted and you're going to fail. Does that mean you're not holy? What does he mean by this holiness? And we will touch on that next week. But look at this now to complete the verse. He says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The word holy there means to be whole, to be restored. It means to be a saint. So yes, the Bible calls you and myself a saint. It's not by the hand of the Pope. It's not by the hand of any pastor or any evangelist or any self-proclaimed apostle. It's not as if I'm going to call you all up and go, now I lay my hand on you, you're a saint. No, no. That power belongs to God. He says, He chose us before the foundation of the earth to do what? To be holy and without blame before Him. The blame has been taken care of on the cross. And the holiness of God flow from the cross to us. Wow. So we finish. Can somebody just uh, call my wife? It's the last verse and then we're going to sing. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. This is where we will take this up next week. Now that we understand holiness. And we understand that he, he asked them to walk in a living hope. We heard about faith this morning. We heard about hope. And now he's going to ask us to walk in holiness. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. We're going to look into that next week. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. There's only two kinds of children in the world. Obedient children and disobedient. There's only two. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, he says we were dead in our trespasses and sins according to, and, and he, he goes on to say that disobedient. You're either disobedient to God or you're obedient. He says it here, we need to walk as obedient children of God. In verse 4 he says, not conforming yourself to the former last as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, set apart, separate, a holy God, you also be holy, set apart in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. We're going to look into that next week. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your holiness. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ came, and with him he brought everything we need upon this earth. Father, we don't have to go through rituals this morning. We have Jesus. And Father, we thank you that He, through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, teaches us. And as we continue, Father, by grace in faith, we are looking forward to our living hope, which is stored away for us in heaven. 
Father, we thank you in this morning for your word. I can surely say this morning, Lord, your word is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. I can also declare this morning what your word says, Father, that it will not go out and return back void, but it will accomplish every single thing that it's purposed for. This morning, Father, I pray that your word purpose in every heart here today what you wanted to purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.